podcast where I speak with people about their careers, focusing on their success, advice, mentoring, and listening to their really interesting stories. I'm your host, Gary Noack, and today you are going to love this guy and our conversation. You sometimes run into people that are a bit wise beyond their years, and my guest, Dylan Hawk, is one of those individuals. A bit about Dylan's career. He's currently working for Dive Biosciences for the last three years as a clinical project manager. Prior to that, he was at the American Red Cross Regional Ops Manager role for just under three years, Social Cognitive Neuroscience Laboratory for three years, that's a mouthful, graduated from UCLA with a psychology degree. Dylan's a great example of being pulled through his career. Some highlights from our discussion. Recognizing that in high school, he really wasn't applying himself, jumped over to community college and started really focusing on academics. Psychology at university and what career paths were out there really didn't have a clear line of sight for how you use a psychology degree. Throwing himself into informational interviews, reaching out to 150 people, contacting 50, making connections with five. Prior to these conversations, he listed out about 25 questions really, really well thought out. Learning, it's not all about you. More important, the who to work for, not the what to do. Building the best relationships of his career thus far. His number one trait represents his name, bit of a teaser there, Red Cross disaster deployment, getting variety out of career to ascertain what you like to do, and more importantly, what you don't like to do. Organic approach to your career path, ask for help when you need it, merits of an MBA, and going in with a clear vision and using the same approach to start his career, figuring out what to do as an entrepreneur, take what the defense gives you, Steve Nash style of play. We do talk a little bit about basketball, avoiding distractions, and focus on the learning aspect. Openness is a key to success. Okay, let me get out of your way so you can sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Dylan Houck. Dylan, really good to see you. Thanks for joining the podcast on an early Friday morning. Happy Friday to you. Yeah, thank you, Gary. I'm excited. Are you? Are you excited about this? Yeah. It's your first one, right? First one ever. Yeah. So here we go. Well, you know it's going to be successful because everything in your life's been successful. So this will be dead easy for you. So what what was your very first maybe non-professional job and how old were you? Yeah. So the first professional or non-professional job was in a catering company. Uh, a family friend worked for a catering company. They would do weddings. So they would kind of soup the nuts, set up for the wedding with the chairs and tables, serve the food, serve drinks, and then stay until about 2 a.m. when all the guests would leave and clean up and break everything down. Wow. So it was like an all-day Saturday sort of event. How old were you? I was, I think, 17. And it worked perfectly because I was at community college at the time, so I would, you know, be at school during the week and then just have a long, long work day on Saturday to make some extra cash, which was which was great. When you say soup to nuts, you weren't kidding. So you could set up everything, set up the venue, then you have to change of some sort to go serve drinks and hors d'oeuvres. And how great was that? Because I've done that in my career. I absolutely loved it. I love being behind the scenes of stuff. And I love observing people. So observing people, especially at a wedding, any moment that stands out for you in this? I just really enjoyed this customer service aspect of it. I feel like that was something that was a good like first skill to learn is just how to take care of people <laughs> and how to provide good service. There, there are a couple moments like 
going above and beyond the stories I could tell of having to like dumpster dive for like a wedding topper that you know <laughs> my mom asked for that you just you don't know anything better you just do whatever you need to do so somebody goes in hey where's the top of that I don't know and the dumpster dive that yeah that's a great vision that's a great oh, visual, yeah. right? It wasn't, and I, should, I shouldn't say the, the wedding topper. It was like the, I don't know if you've seen like those layered cakes that have those kind of pillars in between that are made of plastic. We just typically don't save those. Nobody has ever asked for them. So somebody came after the fact said, hey, where are those? We want to take them home. Yeah. We went above and beyond and got it done. Yep. That's uh, rolled up my sleeves and yeah found a way to get it so even back at, at 17 years old you follow that same path throughout your career i imagine let's walk through your career where do you want to start yeah sure from there i went to a community college for two years at ventura college uh, and then i transferred to ucla which which was a, a big accomplishment for me at the time I, I wasn't a great student as a in high school but i learned to apply myself with a lot of effort at community college it was like a second chance for me why community college? Just because you weren't a great student in high school? Yeah, I wasn't a great student yet. I didn't have, the, I think, the, the college opportunities that I would have wanted. I was a basketball player, so that was where all my focus went in high school. Yep. And then, yeah, when community college came around, I decided to, to take a break from basketball and just apply all that energy straight to academics and did really well there. So what basketball player did you play like? you were to say your style was similar to so-and-so yeah i emulated steve nash the most i identified with his just kind of team first mentality and i tried to shoot like him he was a great shooter but he was always one of my favorites and a great personality that guy yeah i recall him doing something like man on the street hey have you ever heard of steve nash and it's steve nash asking the question <laughs> I don't, you know he's a, won the mvp as a basketball player so no i don't know who that is I just like yeah. the self-deprecating humor. And I think the NBA implemented a dress code and everybody thought it was for Allen Iverson. But Steve Nash had to play to it because he was not a well-dressed individual going out and giving interviews at the end of games. I don't know <laughs> if you remember that. but Yeah, or well-groomed. That hair was pretty, uh, pretty out there. Did you at least cut your hair in high school to look better than Steve Nash? I did. I did cut my hair in high school. I did try to keep uh, well-trimmed. So community college for two years, just to get your footing and Ventura uh, Community College, which is great. I went two years to community college. I'm a massive advocate of it. So you did that. Then UCLA kicks in. Was that a, a shining moment for you? Yeah, it was. You know, I, it was something I didn't think I could do. I would see my friends go to to really like good, accomplished universities that they were proud of. And I always wanted to. That, that was the goal. But I never thought I could do it. So to know that I could apply myself to something that I wasn't really good at didn't feel like natural to be like do great academically to be able to get into a school like that was i was really proud of that yeah westwood how great is ucla growing up in detroit and having moved out to la you go to westwood it's like who on earth wouldn't want to go to this university that place is gorgeous yeah and it, it was super fun i made a lot, a lot of good friends played some basketball intramural basketball and just it was just a really good experience so I read on your LinkedIn that you turned down the opportunity to be an NBA player because you wanted to just go to UCLA and study. Is that true? I had lots of offers. Lakers were kept calling me, but I just had to put, put school first. Let's start talking about your career. So you go to UCLA. What are you studying? Yeah, so I decided to study psychology. And 
people always ask why psychology and I think there was a combination of it was something that I was good at and it just seemed interesting to me for someone who's learning about themselves and during the college years it, it was really practical and applicable for me to just the questions they asked and how to relate to people around me and it's pretty analytical and I learned some good foundations there I didn't have the guidance probably to think long term okay how does this link to a career that you want to do so that's, you know, one thing I probably wish I knew was, you know, how to link what you're studying to what you want to do long term or even what kind of career opportunities there are out there. I didn't have a great sense of that, I don't think, until after college. To how to put a psychology degree to good use? Just really what career opportunities there are out there and what the different career paths are. I knew doctor, lawyer, um, teacher, and I don't know, none of those really jumped out at me and thought you should definitely do this. So it wasn't until later that I learned that there's a, a lot of different jobs out there. With psychology degree. And, and so community college, UCLA, and it's so four years of, of university, I'm guessing. Then you get out and what do you do? From there, I was trying to decide what my first step was going to be. I, I read in a book that informational interviews are a great way to start to meet people and just get to know what kind of careers there are, what kind of jobs there are. So I did that. I just threw myself into that and probably did interviews with about 50 people, probably. How did you, how did you find those people? Yeah, people that I had been connected with. Jim McGee, who we both know, I knew through a basketball camp that we had both worked at. I knew that he was the CEO for the Red Cross at the time. And then family friends would, were my initial outreach. And then you know how it goes. Like Once you meet somebody and make a good impression, then they'll introduce you to other people. How did you run those sessions or what was your approach? Because I think this is one of my mantras is you ask for advice, you get a job. You ask for a job, you get advice. So essentially, with these informational interviews, you're, you're basically asking for advice. How did you structure the calls? What kind of questions did you have? I had lots. I had the, when you first started college, I probably had about 25 questions for each person just prepared, uh, thinking ahead of time, doing your research, what they do, what sorts of experiences might you be able to draw from. A lot of it, you're mining for stories that you can attach yourself to, and, and there's advice in those. One thing that stood out to me from one of my earlier coffee meetings was somebody told me, hey, it's not about, it's not about you. And that was something that I really needed to, to know and, and learn was it's not so much about me and what I can bring to the table. It's like someone else has a problem and how can I help that or help them with that to solve that problem? And that's been something that's stuck with me. You said you're mining for stories to attach. Are you looking for something that you latch onto? So, yeah, I can see myself doing that or I can see myself on that path. Is that What's the ultimate goal of these conversations? Yeah, I think the ultimate goal is just First off, like just build a connection and build, develop a relationship. I, I, not to, I don't want to reference what Jim said too much in his podcast, but so much about it, it was just building a relationship, uh, looking for points of connection so that they would be interested in having another meeting with you or want to learn more or would be willing to offer an, uh, like an introduction to somebody else that might be able to help, be helpful. But. You mentioned something that I thought was interesting, and this is what I advocate with people is I deal with a lot of young people that want to get into consulting. Yeah, consulting is good for you, but why is, the consult, why is it good for the consulting company to hire you 
and you have to flip the perspective. So when you said it's not about you, the way I interpreted that was how can you hiring me help fix your problem? And draw that line to the interviewer to say, I'm a very curious person. I like new challenges. I get along with people. I collaborate. This is why I think you hiring me would be a good thing for ABC Consulting Company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. You have these informational interviews. You took out, you're looking for stories. Anything stand out for you? Or based on those interviews, what happened next? Yeah. And, you know, looking back, I think it was a filter. There's probably like, 150 to 200 people that I probably reached out to and then 50 or so that would agree to have a conversation with me. It was always like 15 to 20 minutes. I never asked. I was always respectful of people's time. Right. Key point. Yeah. Yeah. Super key. And I was always prepared. And one, one, probably five of those 50 interviews really stuck out and really led to relationships long-term that have been really key for me. One being, one being Jim McGee, who was working for the American Red Cross at the time. They had an internship opportunity open up, and after we had we had met, and so he said I would be a good candidate for it. So I applied and started my career with the American Red Cross, teaching disaster preparedness to kids in the Ventura County community. So that was what made you take that, or what about that did you like? I, I wanted to work for Jim. Or I wanted to work for, I didn't work directly for him, but I wanted to work for the company that he's leading. It was something that I feel like I, I trusted him and he had taken a vested interest in me, saw something that about himself in me. And uh, so it just seemed like a good match. And I was willing to roll my sleeves in his leadership, knowing that he was leading, leading the ship and steering the ship. Um, so you were looking at more working with somebody because you saw later that and he saw something in you which i know he did and just as an aside my podcast number seven is jim mcgee this is turning into a uh, advertisement for people to listen <laughs> to that podcast yeah <laughs> no and i'll probably stick to my own story but no <laughs> I, I have learned a ton from him no 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 i'm not i'm not telling you to shy away from it i'm actually uh, highlighting it because it's important the way you went about how you're going to get an information. You went from 150 down to 50, down to five. You prepared. You had 25 questions for each. You only asked for 15 or 20 minutes. You're not going to drain an hour. It sounds like you had some face-to-face -face meetings, right? But you highlighted something that what's your first job because the what, you have a degree and the what you're going to do wasn't as important as the who you're going to do it with. Yeah, exactly. Is that fair to say? That's, yeah, exactly right. And your degree was something at the time you didn't realize what you were going to do with it, however you, you were gravitated. So you start with as an internship for the Red Cross, teaching preparedness. Did you like the job? Yeah, it was fun. I had worked with kids for a while during, doing different camps, and it's just it's fun to prepare for presentation and teach about something, a disaster preparedness. I kind of just learned more about that, which was fun. You get energy from it, right? Like just being around kids that are enthusiastic and just seeing somebody in their 20s. How old were these kids? They were young, like probably seven to 10. They ask all sorts of strange questions and are probably following a little bit of what you're talking about. What was the one lesson you wanted to teach them? What's the one thing that if you if they took one thing away, what would it be? That's a great question. I think the most valuable thing that we taught was just trying like, to stay calm 
I mean, at that age, yeah, there are a couple of techniques that we like, like implemented and taught was related to breathing or something akin to meditating for people, for kids at that age. I think that's really valuable. How do you stay like calm when there's a disaster going on? And that's pretty key. Lessons you teach young people could be lessons learned throughout your whole life. And he's, what was a strange question they would ask? <laughs> I can't think of one off the top of my head. I, I can visualize a kid raising their hand and asking an off-the-wall question. <laughs> and it's like an auditorium of 300 100 kids or so. Yeah, yeah. And the kids that just want some attention. <laughs> Where's my juice box? Can I get fruit punch instead of orange? <laughs> yeah, or I heard, or my mom told me one time that you're supposed to hide your, under the bed or something like that. I don't know. It's just, kids, kids say the darndest things. Well, just, I was there in 94, I think it was January 17th, 1994, when the big earthquake hit in Northridge. And I was living on the first level, maybe a six-story building. And it was early in the morning, so I felt it coming. And they, the first thing that hit my mind was like, go stand in the doorway, because that's what they tell you to do in an earthquake. I was in the doorway for less than like 0.5 seconds. I'm like, hell no, I'm getting the hell out of here, because it was like <laughs> a freight train running through. And it just, it was rumbling and since i'm on the first floor there was a bit of a balcony and i had uh, two other roommates and they they were outside so i i and all the the electricity went out and you couldn't see it, it was very late in the morning but i remember getting out of there and jumping over the balcony and, and standing in the street fortunately nothing happened to the building but that was pretty traumatic i would say but the under your bed or in a doorway ah no nah, if you can get out yeah yeah o open spaces where nothing can fall there you go so through your due diligence, through your work, you get a job with Jim. And then you're working at the Red Cross. Everything's great. And up until then, any other influences in your life or anybody you looked up to? Mentors? Yeah, I think related to this was somehow I came across an email that Jim sent around with like his top 10 like book recommendations like on leadership. And I don't know if I've told you this story before, but he... He sent me the list. I came across the list and I took it upon myself. Of, okay, here's this guy's like list of favorite books on, on leadership. And I'm looking up to him as a leader. It's, I'm going to read all of these. And so I did over the course of my like internship period. Yeah. I think six months or something like that. And uh, then like compiled them into a report. It was like five pages or something of how to become a leader. You talked earlier about when you read something, you try to apply it. And, and that made an impression. He was submitted to him at the end saying, hey, these are your top 10 books. Here's my summary. How good is that? Here's my takeaways, yeah. That ticks all the boxes, right? What, so you sent it to him. Can you explain that interaction? How did, uh, what did you do? I, I did it off the cuff. It was just more along the lines of thank you. Like, here's all the things that I learned. And, he, and, and these are all really valuable to me. And yeah, I just appreciate you sharing that with me. It was good. I sent over an email. It was probably, <laughs> knowing what I know now, it was like a more significant thing to do. For me, it was just instinctual to just, that's what you do. Where did that come from? I don't know. I, I don't know. I can't. Siblings? Parents? Just. Yeah. Yeah. My, my All my families are big. My whole family's pretty avid readers and enjoy books. And it's just kind of something that we gather around. But this is why you're a bit different in a good way is you took something instinctually and said, Oh, 10 books. I like Jim. Jim's a good leader. 
He's recommending 10 books. I'm going to read them. You read them, you compile a report, you send it to them for no other reason than for thank you, right? Just, hey, thank, thanks for you sending this email. When, if you asked me to read 10 books in six months, I would think that would be, I'd rather climb Mount Kilimanjaro or something because I don't, I'm not a great reader and I wish I were. That's one of my massive downsides. But what it is, you're following back up with a recommendation. And I can guarantee you, once you give a recommendation to somebody and then they come back to you and say, hey, thanks for the recommendations. Actually, I read everything. And here's a bit of summary that I got out of it exponentially great yet in the moment you don't realize you think you're it's just normal every day what people would do with no ulterior motive whatsoever and that's probably why you're you're on a path to success in my view so yeah and and i'm a pretty curious person reading books and just learning what like what was in in the books that was just so interesting to me and so helpful and um and yeah it wasn't like i was laboring over it you know what i mean like it was i found it's really helpful, I guess. So just on that point with the program that I'm in to be an executive coach, there's a lot of reading. Maybe I can send you this book list and you can provide a summary back for me. <laughs> a summary for you? <laughs> I don't yeah. If you would, if you, because I have to, re, I have to, I have to send him my reading log, which I'm struggling with. But uh, yeah, I, I love these books. And maybe if uh, you were to do that, that'd be great. Of course, I'm just kidding. I would never have anybody do my reading for me and create a summary so that I can submit it to my reading logs. That will clearly not happen. So you go through and just your the mentality of what you did, I think is the key part of you. You're a very curious person. What would you say is your number one trait or what trait do you have that you just you love that is driving your success? Yeah, I think my favorite trait is came through in this too is just my like diligence i have a I, I can work on something for longer than most people can or like more persistently or consistently that's come out in several ways and served me well a lot of the projects that i've worked on to date have been around this kind of or like working on that strength of reconciling data or like migrating data that it just takes a long time and it takes a lot of diligence and persistence and patience takes a lot of Dylan gyms. Yeah. Yeah. D-Y-L-I-G-E-N-C-E. Because I find it in younger people, there's just this sense of urgency. There's a, what's the fast path? What, what's the quick way to get through something? And this is almost contrary to that persistence. I wrote down patience and diligence. So you recognize some things need to, to take time. And when you look forward, do you have a forward-looking view of uh, success? And is is this a foundation for your success going forward, this mentality? Yeah, I, I think it's one of those kind of skills or tools that I'll build on and I want to build out the toolkit. Long-term, I just want to keep growing in responsibilities and take on more more challenges. And right now I am a project manager. I'd love to be able to run multiple projects. I could be, be a program manager and work my way up and eventually, you know, take on enough ownership where I could potentially own a business one day or run the business. So you have an entrepreneurial spirit. You want to own something. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And what skill set do you think you're lacking or what do you work at? What, what skill set do I need to get there? Yeah, there's all kinds of communications for one. Just how do you influence and get people on board with your ideas or how do you get the right input that you need? How do you learn to think strategically? 
how put a vision like how do you communicate a vision how do you build a team these are all things that you know, I don't know how to do yet but would would love to to learn how to do and hope get hopefully get the opportunity to so if you're going to start your own business what do you think it would be I don't know it would be something that would satisfy my curiosity I, I really like the biotech space that I'm currently in I think just the human body is fascinating and healthcare is really interesting and I enjoy helping people for a little while I thought I was going to go the medical track and become a doctor and so that's satisfying for me to just feel like I'm contributing some something good so the internship at Red Cross then what happened yeah so from there a youth coordinator uh, role opportunity opened up and that involved kind of just engaging youth clubs this was high school age and what the mission of the Red Cross was so the region was covered from Ventura to Bakersfield for people in the or Fresno rather up to Fresno for people in the California area but Basically engaging about 13 high school clubs in their local Red Cross chapter. Okay. So you still, so they give you a full-time job, Red Cross. That was still part-time. I think that was about 20 to 30 hours a week. And I think that lasted for about six or seven months. And then a full-time opportunity opened up in an operations role. And so I did that, I think, for about two years. And that job was, I would manage our volunteer team help coordinate yeah to supervise our facilities our fleet yeah and got the opportunity to deploy a couple of times with the red cross so whenever there's a natural disaster they recruit staff and volunteers to deploy to hand out emergency supplies and take uh, inventory of what damage do damage assessment of of what the effects of the disaster is my my kind of proudest deployment was to the US Virgin Islands during Hurricane Irma. And so I was out in the Virgin Islands, St. Croix, and for St. Thomas, actually. St. Thomas for about six weeks. And there I, it was like an all hands on deck situation, these deployments where you just pitch in and do whatever job is required. I, I found myself working a lot in the software that maps, you create maps and you can show basically how effective our operations was, like where we distributed supplies. There are people out all around the island distributing supplies and they would report back where they went. And then I would map them to show basically what areas we had already gone to so we could just make sure that we covered everybody. Six weeks, that's a long time. It was a pretty long time. It was, I think it was originally three and then they liked the work that I was doing, asked me to stay for an additional three. Yep. And yeah, it was, it was a good experience, but it was a pretty long time. No, it's in a beautiful location, but a lot of devastation out there. And, and what kind of impact did the Red Cross have on the community? Were they very appreciative or were they frustrated with slow movement? How did it go? Yeah, I think it overall, very appreciative. The people there were just very kind and hospitable and yeah, just really great interactions with the, with the people there. So six weeks you're there, you come back, you got this full-time role, you're working with youth from Venture up to Fresno, and then where we go from there? Yeah, and then keep bringing Jim back into this, but at the time, Jim, I think, had been there about seven years or so and had the opportunity to move to dive biosciences. And you and I have talked about kind of life being a pole. There was a, a spot for me 
that he thought I'd be a good fit for. And so I went along with him to dive biosciences where I currently am working. Yep. And I, it was a project coordinator role. I did a lot of kind of accounting functions, still some of the you know projects, basically just pitching in around the office and making sure that I was contributing. I got to help a little bit with some marketing ideas. But the theme overall has just been take on a little bit more and more responsibility. And you start with one thing, it's small, you do a good job at it. I mean, you do high quality work and then you increase the responsibility and take on more and more. And so I've been there three years now. Yeah. Because you're going to UCLA, you get a psychology degree, you don't know what your career path is. You reach out to all these people. Because I, I always look back on sometimes your career happens to you. Sometimes your career you plan. Because you, you have somewhat of an unplanned career, if, if I'm not being too, too prescriptive there. But you managed to, to find a leader that you looked up to and said, you know what? I can learn a lot from this, from this person. And you start with one company, and then you get pulled into the other company. Now, when you sit here now, is this where you were meant to be? Do you feel like, yeah, this, this feels like the right career path? Or do you reflect back and say, huh, you know, what if I would have gone in this direction instead of that direction? I think... What I'm proud of with my career path is just the variety of the experiences I've gotten. And that's valuable in that I've just gotten a lot of, gotten to see what I like and what I don't like in a variety of different contexts and what I find interesting and challenging. I've seen peers commit to career paths that they're on that they don't particularly enjoy or it's not what they expected. And I knew I wanted to avoid that. And so that's where I think the value of these informational interviews is you get the perspective on what's down the road and what sort of challenges do I, can I avoid by just hearing their story and learning from their experience? Because I'm probably more like them than not. And it, yeah, it'd be a waste to, to just go down a path and not think ahead of time or plan ahead of time. Your path to your career was, because you said you were looking for stories. You said you were mining for stories when you're talking to these people, because the perspective that I have, people go through university and say, I want to work in financial services. I want to be a consultant, but they don't know why. They might have heard something great about it, and then they get into it, and they realize, oh, this is maybe not what I thought it was, or not what I read in that magazine, or I had a counselor telling me about that, or my professor was a consultant, so I like my professor. But I think what you did, you were very open-minded to finding a story that resonated with you and you didn't find a line of work. You find a person that says, no, I like, I like this path. And with what you've done, because all too often people in their twenties make decisions that when they hit their thirties, they're like, boy, that, I don't know why I was thinking that, but you had a more, I think your career path I would describe as organic as a career path of it wasn't prescriptive. You didn't say I had to do X, Y, or Z but you just followed and trusted your instincts. And you had said earlier, you take what you like and what you don't like. So when you think about what you're doing, how comfortable are you in project management? And is your personality well-suited for dive biosciences? Yeah, I think so. One, I've definitely learned to take things as they come and take things one at a time. And that's something that's valuable about the, the organic kind of path is that you're, you just, you learn to adapt and be flexible around where your current circumstances are and how do you 
manage that and you're just forced to learn new skills. And yeah, I think I'm definitely well suited for my current job where I've had to do that and learn things quickly and ask, ask for help. I, that's one thing I wish I knew earlier on is ask for help when you don't know something because it just fills in the gaps that you have and everyone has gaps. Why did you think you weren't asking for help when you needed it? It was interesting. I, th- I think my, when I, early in my career, I was valuable for taking things off of other people's plates and just, and so someone has something that they want help with. So I just take it off their plate and it's, I take the ownership to make sure that it gets done. And there's people appreciated that, uh, that I would take things off of their plate and not put things back onto them. So I think it was retraining myself that in certain things that I need help with, I need to ask for their like input on because my tendency is just to own it, make sure that it happens. and, And you can't do that when there's lots of responsibilities and things you've never done before. And that's, taking a strength and turn it into a weakness, which you your strength is, give it to me, I'll take care of it. Oh, Dylan, you're the best. Thank you so much. Whereas if you thought you took it and then you had a question going back or you didn't know how to do something, you felt, oh, that's not that's not the reputation I'm trying to build for myself. Yeah. And and I wish I knew that asking for help is a sign of maturity and not and I thought it was the opposite. Like I felt like asking for help meant that I couldn't handle it or I was immature. hundred percent. So that's one thing. Any good advice you've gotten over the years that resonates with you? Yeah. I mean, that one, that one was huge. There's so many things. I don't know. I'm blanking at the moment, but I'm sure they'll come out as, as we continue talking. But yeah, having mentors and, and advice from, from books and things like that have been immensely helpful for me and just seeking it out and yeah, asking, I don't know, extending. Yeah, I don't know. Are you mentoring people? Do people look up to you and want your advice? Yeah, I've been introduced to a couple people. I, it would be nice if I could do it more, but I'm still pretty like early in my career where, yeah, I, I hope to do it one day, but I think I'm more looking up to other people. Well, you should send 10 books to somebody that's younger <laughs> and see what happens. <laughs> I already know what would happen with well, if you send it to me, I'm like, there, <laughs> where's the Cliff Notes version of this stuff? But uh, you project managing, you you're just you're very clear on who you are, and you're very clear on the skills that you want to improve. Because when you look at this organic career path, and because you you want to help people, and you thought you were going to go into medical, be a doctor, but you're in that profession, and you are making an impact through the medical field through certain right. things, and your skill sets align to what you're doing. What's next for you or where do you see you going? Yeah, I think I, I, just, I'm gonna, I, I like the path that I'm on and I'm proud of the skills that I've developed. I, I want to continue to develop the skills. What's next for me, I think, is just building out the toolkit of, of skills and building the relationships. I have, I think, a good enough foundation. And for me, that looks like pursuing an MBA. My mentors and people in my life have encouraged me to to do that. And I, I feel like it's a good fit. I belong at, at at school. I just love the learning aspects. When I'm not at school, I feel like there's something missing. <laughs> and so an MBA, I think for me, is a good opportunity to learn some of the, the foundational skills and really build the relationships with people that I can work with. And yeah, so I think that's like the next, like the imminent next thing. Yeah. And then, yeah, go ahead. So two things out of the MBA, you want to build a foundation of knowledge 
because you have a psychology degree. So you've gone through, you need to see things in a business perspective, I imagine. And then relationships. What are you going to do there to build relationships? Yeah. I, I don't know if it's more complicated than what I've done previously of just reaching out to people and, and connecting and asking for 15, 15 to 20 minutes of their time and just building the connection and engaging in what other people are interested in and look for ways to help. I feel like I, I'm not the, people talk about, net, like people say networking is so important. And I think for different types of people, there's different ways to do it. And for me, my method's usually to like work on a project together. That's how I like build a relationship. And that's how I build trust with people as I work together with them. And at an MBA, you have the opportunity to do that with projects and, and whatnot. Uh, so I look forward to that. So you're going into an MBA with clear vision of your toolkit. You mentioned that a couple of times to better communication, influence, input, strategic thinking, building a team. So when you go into the MBA program, you're recognizing like, okay, these are the things that I want to focus on and get out of it to extract out of the program. So you're going in with, with a, I think, a perfect mindset into an MBA of understanding the vision of what you're going to get out of it. So at the end of this, is it two years? Yeah. I'm guessing. So at the end of two years, I want to be learn how to build up a team, be more of a strategic thinker, improve my communication skills, because I I believe you can always improve communication skills in some form or fashion. So you're going to work on that. So you're going in there with your eyes wide open on at the end of this. Here's what I want to get out of it. I think it's a great perspective. And the timing of this, does it seem like the perfect timing for you to be going and doing this? Yeah, it is. It, it, it seems like I've gotten an array of experiences that are pretty pretty broad, and I've gotten to work a little bit on marketing and a little bit on operations and, and just have enough of a sense of how things might apply to like an actual startup environment. Okay. And yeah. That's the intriguing part. You want to start something. You want to start your own business. I'm always fascinated by people that have that in them in a, in a very super positive way because that's just... It's very admirable. And I'm so enamored with people that want to do that. Yeah, I think a lot of people want to jump in and do it now. And I think that there's a, a lot of progression that I want to make before I do that. Yeah, and I, it's just continuing along this mentorship path has been really productive for me and finding people that are willing to teach me and to invest in me and share their stories. So are you going to take the same approach that you did with finding a job? Because it feels you're going MBA, you want to expand your toolkit, you want to start your own business, you don't quite know what it is yet. So I feel almost like an organic approach with you. You know what, I'm going to go talk to a bunch of people about where you can make the most impact or where that gap is, because companies start with, well, there's a gap here in this industry, and I can create something that would fill it. Is that mentally what you're thinking? Or am I putting words in your mouth? Well, you bring up a good question. I think, and we talked a little bit about not weaknesses, but growth areas for me and what I want to learn. And I think one of the pieces is the like the visionary aspect. I'm an operator and I work well from here's where we want to go. How do we get there? That's, I feel like I come alongside somebody who's more of the visionary. I have this like idea, how do we implement it and how do we get, get traction on it and momentum and get it accomplished? Those have always been the people that I've partnered well with. And as I look forward in my career, I think I probably fall more into that camp of the, like the operator. Yep. Yep. Like a COO type. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I had a question. Hold on. 
was a good one too. Oh, how do you view success going forward? Success in a career standpoint for me is hitting, there's three buckets for me. There's the piece of building relationships. What kind of quality of people am I surrounded with in terms of just their knowledge, their authenticity, and and do I have good quality relationships? The second is I like I've always resonated with this idea of kind of mastery or having some skills that I can get really good at. Do I have two to three kind of key skills that are going to be really valuable to contribute to any company that I'm working for? So go very vertical on those. Just go really deep on them. Right. It just like getting a, a wide variety. Yep. Yep. And then the third piece is just people talk about autonomy or like having kind of the having gained the reputation and the trust of people that I'm working with to have freedom to, yeah, to, to, to do things on my own, I guess, I guess, or have, I think increasing responsibility is probably the, the way I would. That's where the entrepreneur comes in is if you create, because all three good things, building solid relationships, it'll never serve anybody poorly. Drilling down said mastery of two to three things instead of being horizontal with things and going, 10 feet down, you want to keep the horizontal and go 10 feet down with 20 things. But with two or three different things, you want to go 50, 100 feet down and get really, really good at it, depending on what that is. And then the third is the autonomy. And it feels like that's where you want to start your own company and the trust element of everybody, let's go in this direction. You know what? I don't know what's that way, but let's go figure it out. Let's go get there together to see if that fits with what we're doing and building up that trust. Just knowing you, I always thought there was a fourth fourth one for success, and that's a good mid-range jumper. <laughs> yeah, mid-range is tricky, usually off the dribble. Devin Booker's got a great mid-range jumper. That'd be great to have. We'll just stick with the three because I think you were talking about work, but and you're, you decided <laughs> to table your MBA career because you wanted to go and be a project manager at a biosciences company and be an MBA, which I completely understand. I could have been a pro baseball player, but I wanted to be a CPA. Yeah. Let's be honest, right? Who yeah. wants to play in the major league baseball? Lots of travel. Yeah. Too much travel. You know, <laughs> I, I don't I don't need that. <laughs> Too many games. 160 yeah. some odd games. But a good mid-range jumper, I think that's been uh, that's been something that's missing in the NBA that's getting a lot of traction these days. Yeah, it's nice to see you come back. I, I, yeah, I think there's been so much emphasis on the three. I think someone else made this point, but there's been so much emphasis on the three-point shooting the last like five to 10 years that everyone's learning to defend it. And then you have to, then it opens up this whole mid-range game. Well, here's the thing. When everybody zigs, you zag. Stock market, when everybody's buying, you sell. When everybody's selling, you buy. So when everybody's doing one thing, and this happens in sports, that's why I like sports, is because everybody's shooting threes. Well, there's going to be a team that does nothing but mid-range jumpers. Yes, there's analytics that are involved, which is why people go, you know, cuckoo bananas over it. But Nobody's guarding the mid-range jumper. KD, he could shoot anytime. And you look at Chris Paul, that's all he does is mid-range jumper. He And yeah, he's just really, really fun to watch. Sorry I dragged you down on your great successful topics with the <laughs> mid-range jumper. I think I... Yeah, there's so many good like analogies I draw from just from my time playing basketball. And this is a perfect example. They say, take what the defense gives you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So people are closing out hard on the three-pointer and just, you know, go around them and pull up for the mid-range. And so, yeah, it's kind of... With you and your business, you don't know what it'll be, but take what 
take what business is giving you. And what I always say is, especially in consulting, to be famous, it's like an hourglass. You start off as a generalist, you become a specialist in something, right? So to become a partner at a big four or at any place, look for where there's a gap in something, where something's missing and you can go fill the gap. But if somebody's doing something really well, don't shoulder up to them and try to try to elbow in or feed off their exhaust. Go find something that nobody's doing where you can be famous in it. And it feels like you don't quite have the vision of what you want to do as an entrepreneur, but you'll know it when you see it and you're building a foundation to grab it by increasing your skill sets, by building strong relationships, by communicating with people to understand. And I hate to tag this as organic again, but organically, you're going to find where that will be because you're, you don't force things. You allow, you get information, allow things to flow to you, but you're not a push guy. When you got pulled to dive, when, when I reflect on Jim, Jim got pulled over to dive as well. So he had a relationship with, with the chairman person. So it's just, it's that trickle effect from that one meeting you had with him when you reached out to 150 people and it all drilled down to one person. And that relationship has been pulling you and you're going to develop that again. So you're going to have a second a phase two or phase three of your career where you, where so, somebody finds you and you're going to work in cahoots with that person, or maybe they're the massive strategic thinker and you're the COO operator of it. I like that we're planning your life here. So this is a, <laughs> yeah. this is a good oh, podcast. No, I mean, <laughs> shout out to you, not to, talk, not to praise you too much, but the, the coaching that we've done recently, like you and I have done recently, you've really helped me crystallize a lot of this. And so uh, huge thanks to you. Thanks for that. Yeah. Appreciate it. And I, I think there's one other thing I wanted to say about that. Make it good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I think it's, I've, I'm always thinking about what's important to me, what are the most important things. And we've talked about what success is. And I've talked about those kind of three things. And there's tons of distractions that can interfere with that. People can get distracted really easily. And I've tried to just not let that happen, whether, whether it's, oh, I want this title or I want this salary or whatnot. I've, I think some of the best advice I've gotten was just to focus on like the learning aspect of it and take what the defense has given you. Yeah. And thinking long-term, I, I don't, I don't know. I want to have the skills that, per, that give me the, so I can provide the value that warrants an increase in salary. I, that's been helpful for me in, in my career so far. And I, I hope to, that I can continue to do that. So the flip side of don't get distracted is you stay focused, right? You're, you're focused. And you got the, the, the three keys to success, which are great. So don't, don't let people pull you off of that. You're, you're going to be successful. We talked about that before. It's set your sights. You'll get it. But what I, what I like about your story is you don't quite know what it is yet, but you have confidence that I'm doing the right things. And when it shows itself, I'll know it. And then I'll go grab it. And it might be a person that you, that you resonate with. It might be this big financial backer that wants to impact X, Y, or Z and sees you as this great implementer or vice versa. You might have a great strategic idea and go sell that up the chain. Totally. Yeah. And the openness has been so key for me because these projects that I've taken on have they have been very zigzaggy, but they've all been like, I'm super proud of all of them. And I've learned so many skills from them. And so if I had been closed off to those, 
I, I don't know where I would be. I, I don't think I could have predicted when I graduated college that I'd be doing what I'm currently doing. And I kind of uh, like that. That's much more fun too. And that's important to me. This whole process is you getting information for the next chapter in your career and the next chapter after that, whatever that is. I love it. I think I would be, it wouldn't work for me to commit to something uh, like long-term, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life and not really, and and know along, along the way that I'm learning things that would change course or would alter my approach and not be true to those. Too good, right? Wise beyond your years. You know that, you know that. Well, yeah. And, and I think people wish that they knew some of the, like those things, like they've, they're in a, like in a career that they probably would have chosen something different. And I think I'm trying to avoid that particular, I wish I knew. <laughs> when, when people are too prescriptive with things, then how do they know that they want to be in that industry? You have to let it form. I, I, I did a podcast with a young man that I hired in Shanghai and he graduated from this university and really wanted a job in Beijing. And Beijing said, we'd love to hire you, but we can't. And they, they turned him over to me in Shanghai. And he reflected, he said, thank God I didn't get a job in Beijing because I was pushing into a place where there wasn't a pull for me and it never would have worked. Whereas when he met me, I'm like, I can totally use you. In fact, you will be so impactful to the firm, the KPMG in Shanghai, and personally to me as somebody that I can you know, bounce ideas off. He spoke perfect Mandarin. So that reflection, because I, I told him, life is a pull, not a push. And the other side of it is, you may be pushing into areas that don't want you. And why would you go to a place where nobody wants you? I think along those lines too, like you, sometimes you can push towards things that are just already really crowded. Like the things that get a lot of exposure are the things that everyone's pushing for. So that's not usually the best use of your... This is a zig when they zag, to, to buy when they sell, to take what the defense gives you. I love the analogy to take what the defense gives you because that's it. It's in a business sense is, you know, take what they give you. If everybody's over there shooting threes, maybe I'll do the mid-range jumper. Maybe I'll, I'll push in for layups or what have you. But yeah, that's a great, great analogy. And another thing I was going to say about that too, about the poll, when you have mentors and people that, you know, are further down the line, they'll see things in you that they'll, they've seen things in me that I don't see myself like, and they'll help you grow into the mold that they see potential for that you can't really that's right. anticipate. So that's, there's a lot of value in that too. Because you have blind spots. Totally. Yeah. It, it may not be the right term blind spots, but you don't recognize what a solid person you are, or you may not see it because your lens has only been the lens of your life through your eyes. But people looking down would look at you and say, huh, you've got a lot of potential. You're like, really? I don't know. I'm just Dylan. You mean everybody doesn't get 10 books and provide a summary back inside of six months? <laughs> what are they thinking? No, it's too good. So that's the other part. The more people you introduce yourself to, the more you're going you're gonna to hit on somebody and recognize what a superstar you are and be able to help navigate your career or provide you with options. Time for some fun questions? Yep. This is the most serious I've heard you sound. Yep, I'm, I'm ready. ready for these. Yeah, buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite movie or book? Favorite movie would either be Shawshank Redemption or Good Will Hunting. Have you seen either of those? <sighs> Come on. Of course. I love both of them. What Was there a scene that you liked the most? It's, there's a great scene where he's talking about where Will is. I just confronted him about... They, they had an argument. And then uh, the next scene... I think Sean is his name, Robert Williams' character. They're like, they're looking out and, and Sean's telling him how you, 
you think you know all these things, but you haven't really gone out into the real world. And he, he, he mentioned specifically this, uh, you haven't seen the Sistine Chapel. And that, in talk about taking something and literally applying it, I saw that and I was like, I need to go see the Sistine Chapel. Have you seen it? And I, and I did, yeah. So I planned like a 10-day kind of trip in Europe and just went to all those different spots because I, I felt like it. Hard to look at, right? I mean, you get a crick in your neck. Yeah, crane my neck and... Yeah, I had to take a break for the next business idea. You should get massage tables and just lay them all out and have somebody give you a massage while you're face up so you can just stare at the darn thing, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so, but that that scene was impactful. And Shawshank, anything that stands out in your mind? Oh, that whole movie's great. I remember the first time I saw it, I don't want to give any spoilers for people who haven't seen it. But... Come on. <laughs> somebody hasn't seen Shawshank. In fact, it's hold on. I'm, out for... I'm looking at it right now. It's on, on four channels right now. As we're speaking. <laughs> yeah, no, but when the warden, you know, pulls away the, the poster and you're, it's just like, yep. let it go, man. <laughs> persistence. He knew he was going to do it. He's one, one pocket full of dirt at a time and it's just out there. Yeah. Diligence, man. That's, that's one. Yeah. Be the, the mantra for the pie is diligence. And I'll spell it, I'll spell it correctly. When I do the little intro on Buzzsprout that goes up to Apple and Spotify, it'll be diligence and it'll have your name <laughs> in it. Trust me, we're going to, I'm going to coin that. I'm going to own it. Favorite meal. Favorite meal. My wife's lasagna is fantastic. Well done. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I have a, one interesting kind of quirk is in one of the other questions that was on the list, but Another of my favorite meals is turkey chili. And my coworkers, I've built a reputation for myself with turkey chili. There was a span of time where, you know, I was just kind of meal prepping and I had made turkey chili last week. So I was like, that was pretty good. I had it like pretty much every day. And then one week after the other, Gary, it was like probably eight months. Eight months. Of every yeah, every work day I just take because it, it was just like so easy, so easy. It would hit, checked all the boxes that I needed. But everyone was like, "Dude, when are you going to stop eating that stuff?" <laughs> it's like any crackers in it. Occasionally, if I really wanted to spice it up, how spicy was it? It varied. It's kind of how much chili powder you want to put in there. And you made it. Always make it. Yeah. Uh, what kind of beans? What kind of beans? No beans, actually. No bean, a no bean turkey chili. Yeah, I can send you the recipe. There was, it's, it's turkey, onions, garlic, carrots, yeah, tomato. This is not the Barefoot Contessa podcast, but I'm always interested in good chili. <laughs> Tomatoes and zucchini. And, yeah, lots of, lots of good stuff in there. So. Eight months. Although I, I'm taking a little bit of a break from it from now, that's got to be mentioned. This is recent? That was recent, yeah, probably last year. Holy. Love it. Before COVID. But your wife's lasagna. How good is that? So when you were in Italy, did you just, did you try lasagna outside of your wife's to recognize that hers is the best? I, I didn't try lasagna. I tried, I think, some spaghetti and some pizza, which was, which was very good. Because that would be cheating if you try lasagna in Italy. Yeah. In a way. Like, mm, I thought you liked mine. <laughs> Favorite vacation spot? Favorite vacation spot? When I was a kid, I, we went to Costa Rica a lot, and that place is just amazing. What'd you like about it? It's tropical. We were like, there were monkeys in the trees outside of our like where we were staying, so we'd just feed them apples. The water's super warm. You spend all day at the beach hanging out. 
What more can you ask for? Okay, so if you could see any concert for any artist, dead or alive, who would it be? I think I've already seen it. Coldplay is my favorite band. Ooh, are you sure you want to go with that? Final answer? Yeah, yeah, that, that, I, they're, they're the best that I can think of. Chris uh, Martin, you like him? Yeah, he's, he's... I think I saw them at the Hollywood Bowl way back when. I might have. Yeah. I could be lying. I'm probably lying. It's a fun show. He's, he's got a lot of energy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we saw him at the Rose Bowl a couple years ago. Oh, so big venue. Yeah. Excellent. I, can I, so I would like to have seen him earlier, like at a small venue when he wasn't big yet. All right. So you want to see Coldplay or Chris Martin early before he got famous? Early. Yeah. Like Parachutes album. Yep. What would you consider a small venue? How many seats? 300. That kind of auditorium. Ooh, that is small. Yeah. How good is that? You give me a chance to see any artist in a small place. I'm there. I went to see The Cure. Do you know The Cure? No. Yeah. All expense paid trip to the moon. You going? My wife wouldn't be happy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Why? Two, two, you know, six weeks in the Virgin Islands is, was, was too long. I don't think I could be there, there and back in six weeks. Could I? The moon? The moon? Yeah, I think so. How long does it take to get there? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's not my forte. It's just a silly question. I don't know the details behind it. I don't do prep for this. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I would. It would be really. It'd be interesting. I, I feel like I. How big of you know? How tall are the hoops have to be on the moon? You know, where you can jump a little bit, jump a little bit higher. <laughs> you got hops in the. Yeah, you get hops. Yeah, being able to like dunk finally, that'd be awesome. You can't dunk. I have dunked. Okay. I can't currently dunk. Did you see a guy hit his forehead on the rim when he dunked? I have seen that. Yeah. Oh my god! Can you imagine? Any guilty pleasures? <laughs> the most recent one I can think of is cheese and crackers, but I have a pretty like a pretty big sweet tooth. I've been known to eat an entire cheesecake in a sitting before, and yeah, <laughs> really. What's your favorite cheesecake? Just the classic New York style strawberries, cherries, and strawberry toppings are great. Yeah, you've been to Cheesecake Factory, I assume. Yeah, there's one right by where we're living. It's dangerous. Yeah, you need like fifty of them. So, favorite candy bar? Candy bars are Reese's. Oh. Snickers are also good. But I'll put Reese's on s'mores. I know some people have heard of that. Some people haven't. But yeah, it adds a little bit of a peanut buttery flavor to your, to your s'more experience. How good is that? I go to Trader Joe's and get those little peanut butter cups. Have you had those? Yeah, those are, those are dangerous. Well, yeah, you got to limit yourself to one if you can. So, one after lunch. Otherwise, if I have three passed out taking a nap because sugar just drains me of energy if you could have any superpower what would it be mm, superpower huh i think i think flying would be pretty cool i don't know i don't really have a good one for that i think that's the right answer flying yeah i think that's just, i think that is just kind of like the best answer long-term trips being invisible I, I don't know i don't want to be in a room where people are talking about me you can hear it because you can't use any, you can't use it for good. Yeah, I wouldn't really. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'd be disappointed in that one. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm going to sign myself up for disappointment. <laughs> like, oh man, this is what people really say about me. He's eating turkey chili again. Did you see him? <laughs> <laughs> that stuff is taking up the whole office. I can smell it from the other room.
Could he not heat it up? We got to get him a separate <laughs> microwave. Crying out loud. All right. Three part question. Give you a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand dollars. What are you going to do if you have to spend a hundred dollars? If I have to spend a hundred dollars today, I'll probably spend that on books that I have a few books that I'm, I want to buy. <laughs> yeah, I know you're cringing, but. Uh... Okay. thousand dollars. What would you spend it on? Thousand dollars, I would probably put like a, a tow hitch on my my car to take my bike around. Oh, thousand bucks? Yeah, I could get by with a couple hundred. But, okay, uh, so you buy a couple of them, <laughs> <laughs> different colors. Yeah, yeah. ten thousand bucks. What are you doing with it? Ten thousand bucks. <laughs> to be honest, but my like super honest answer is like pay off student loans. More fun answer would be to to travel and do like a trip in Europe with my wife. That would be pretty fun. Favorite TV show? Favorite TV show of all time is probably The Office. That's the right answer. Do you have a favorite alcoholic beverage? Old-fashioned kind of guy or Irish mule. What's an Irish mule? It has whiskey and... That's a cocktail. It's cocktail Okay. Have you been to Dublin? I haven't. Any desire? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be fun. Have you? Yeah. God, it's great. Yeah. And there's several times a Guinness tour. Oh my mm. gosh. It's Guinness. That's my favorite alcoholic beverage is Guinness. You go there, it's beyond. It's just like chocolate milk, something like that. It's, it's so good. Okay. A bit of an off, off the beat question. If you could live in any era, what would it be in the past or in the future? If I could live in any era. I know, it's a tough one. I don't know. I think it I think probably sometime in the future would be interesting. Really? Like, put, yeah, put me in 2121. 21. Wow. I'd just be curious. Like, what does the world look like? If it's still here. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> that could be pretty boring if I'm all by myself. But I, I always wish I could go just go back in time and buy you know, Apple stock when it first came out or micro just to, and let time take care of itself. Cause time is just so powerful, especially with investing. You invest in something, you don't have to do anything. It's totally passive. Final question. Dinner with anybody dead or alive, who would be one person? person? Yeah. Or you know, whatever you want. People have answered five. <laughs> Nobody follows the rules. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of people, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors. It'd be fun to sit down with him. John Wooden's been influential. I think I think between the two of them, there'd be some pretty good stories. What would you talk to John Wooden about? Oh, just like tales of what was it like to win championships every year. Seriously, they were just unbelievable. And the players that came in there, Lou Cinder and Bill Walton. Oh, and just his philosophy. Yeah, and you know, what sorts of challenges did he face with some of those guys? Would be, would be interesting to hear. And how did he properly pay everybody the right amount? That's important. Even though they're in college, you got to make sure they get paid. <laughs> Nobody's going there for free. Anybody else? John Wooden, C.S. Lewis. That was it. Those are the, those are the ones that jump out. Awesome, Dylan. Thank you so much for for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, Gary. This was super fun. Thanks for the opportunity. All right.